The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. The news was just too good to be true. There was no way it could have happened. It's not that they didn't want it to be true. In fact, they needed it to be. But they needed nothing short of a miracle. The year was 1980. Herb Brooks had assembled a team of common men in order to achieve the uncommon. The U.S. men's hockey team had made it to the semifinals in the 1980 Winter Olympics. They had slashed through the competition, and now they had their sights set on the gold medal. They wanted this more than anything. They needed it more than anything. You see, the years leading up to 1980 were, in a word, tumultuous. The Cold War's icy grip had found its way into every heart and home. Riots, protests, terrorism, hostage situations, it was all anyone was talking about. People were in need of some good news. But before they could take home the gold, the United States had to beat the Soviet Union on the ice. And you see, the Soviets were unbeatable. They hadn't lost an Olympic game in 12 years, and they had four gold medals to show for their success. The last time they faced off against Brooks' team on the ice, they shredded them to bits. But the semifinal was a match for the ages. The Americans fought hard. They outmaneuvered and outplayed the Soviets. And they held on to a tight lead. And then finally, the clock ran down to zero. And on February 20th, 1980, in Lake Placid, New York, the Americans defeated the four-time reigning champs. Their miracle had come true. The stadium exploded with sound and disbelief, and sports commentator Al Michaels uttered a quote that would be immortalized. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. The news began to spread. People couldn't believe it. The next issue of Sports Illustrated had no words on the cover, just a picture of the American team holding the American flag. It was all the proof that they wanted to believe in the miracle that they needed. But what if you had missed it? What if you had woken up and gone about your day and you never once tuned into the broadcast, never once picked up a newspaper, had no idea what had happened in New York? If someone would have told you, would you have believed it? It's not that people didn't want it to be true. In fact, they needed it to be. But it required nothing short of a miracle. The disciples were in some need of good news. The events of the week, the doom and gloom that they had witnessed, it hung heavily on them. And they were mourning their master. They had seen everything that had happened to him. He had been crucified, forsaken by God. The soldiers had cruelly whipped him, nailed him to a tree. 
And then after all that, they had seen his body taken down, wrapped in linens, and stuffed away in a tomb, forgotten. The disciples remembered Jesus' words, echoes of one day rising from the grave. But after what they had seen, it didn't seem likely. There was no coming back from that, no doubt about it. It would take a miracle. And so afraid, worried, hurt, they gathered in an upper room behind locked doors, fearful that Jesus' enemies were still thirsty for blood. But then a voice spoke, a voice that shattered the deepest gloom, spoke from their midst, and the disciples turned around and saw their Savior with them. He said, peace be with you. And it didn't register. It didn't make any logical sense, but there he was, and he said, peace be with you. He showed them his hands, the wounds that they had seen. This was the same Jesus they had seen pierced and wounded just a few days ago. Now he held out his hands. He held out and showed them his marks, the purchase price for his disciples' peace. Without a doubt, it was him. When Jesus said, peace be with you, it wasn't just a wish or a greeting anymore. Now it was a reality. And now their fear melted away. Their hurt was gone. Their worry was gone. It didn't matter now because Jesus was alive again. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, wasn't there that day. For some reason or another, he missed it. And so the disciples came to him and they told him what had happened. They said, we have seen the Lord. He appeared to us. He showed us his hands, his feet, and his side. But Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks and touch where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Harsh words. A bold demand. In Thomas' mind, there was no way it could be true. No way what his friends were saying could have happened. How could it be? He had seen what had happened just like they had. These were the kind of things you couldn't unsee. Crucifixion and burial, those things didn't end in life. They ended in death, without a doubt. Do you see where Thomas is coming from, though? It's not like he didn't want it to be true. Jesus had been his friend, his teacher, for three years. And Thomas had seen what Jesus was capable of. Jesus had a way of tearing down the darkness in people's lives and filling it with so much light that people just couldn't help but tell others about it. Every time Thomas had seen Jesus heal someone, or forgive them their sins, the walls around his own heart weakened just a little more. Could it be that Jesus was more than Thomas' teacher? Could he really be his Lord? Thomas wanted him to be. He needed him to be. One week later, the disciples are in the same place, gathered behind locked doors, afraid and hurt, but this time, Thomas was with them. 
And then suddenly, just as suddenly as before, Jesus appeared again. The same blessing on his lips. He said, peace be with you. And then Jesus turned to Thomas. He held out his hands. He showed him his side, once bloody but now dry, signs of his fight with death which he had conquered. He said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus wasn't impatient. He wasn't angry when Thomas needed it. Instead, he gave everything Thomas had asked for, the proof he wanted of the miracle that he needed. Jesus knocked down every single wall around Thomas' heart. He unlocked and broke the chains of doubt and fear that had bound up his disciple. When Thomas had first heard the news, he doubted it. He didn't think it could be true. But it was hard to doubt as Jesus held open his hands, as Thomas felt for himself the proof of Jesus' struggle. Jesus said, Stop doubting and believe. And now he knew it was true. Without a doubt, Thomas knew it was true. Jesus had risen. Here was the proof, the living, breathing, life-giving proof that Jesus was who he said he was. Everything Thomas wanted and needed him to be. My Lord and my God, Thomas replied. You know, I think Thomas is one of the most relatable people in Scripture. He embodies so well that struggle that we know, the struggle between fact and faith, the struggle each of us have when we're asked to believe something that just seems too good to be true. Do you believe in miracles? In Thomas' mind, no way it could have happened. Absolutely no way. Where was the proof? Maybe Thomas just gets a bad rap for not being there that day. After all, just a week before, the rest of the disciples were just as fearful, just as doubtful. Deep down, Thomas was just afraid. What are you afraid of? What has your heart locked up behind a door, immobilized by sin? Sometimes what we see trumps what we believe. We hear about the things, the terrible things going on in the world, and we see the way that sin spins a web and ensnares our loved ones. It's not that we want to doubt. Maybe it's just that the sin in your life feels so tangible and so real, and what Jesus offers sounds too good to be true. Just like Thomas, it's not that we don't want to believe it. We want it to be true. We need it to be but sometimes Jesus' promises just seem too unbelievable. But there are no obstacles for our risen Lord. He shines through every doubt that clouds our mind. He breaks through every locked door around our hearts. His blessing to the disciples that day is our reality. Peace is ours. There is nothing that stands in the way between us and God's love. Neither, the, neither death, nor devil, nor sin. Jesus has paid the price. 
The nail marks and the empty tomb testify to it. He has unlocked heaven for us forever. And now he even gives us those keys. We can extend Jesus' love and peace to those who are locked behind doors, to those who are immobilized, to those who need just a bit of good news. We can share Jesus' love and unlock his forgiveness for them. Because the peace Jesus gives, it's unbelievable. And so let every bit of good news reach your heart. The cracks and the crevices that no one knows but you, Jesus fills them with peace that he alone has the authority to give because his hands, his feet, and his side still bear the cost. And so when you're surrounded by doom and gloom and you need just a bit of permanent good news, reach out. Like Thomas did, reach out. In his word, we find all the proof we need for the miracle we desire. We have his word so that we may believe and that by believing in his name, we may have eternal life. Just like Thomas, we can live in the truth that this man, this Savior who knocks down walls, who unlocks our hearts, who has nailed my sin and your sin to his cross, and who has left left death dead in his own grave, he's exactly who we want and need him to be. He's our Lord and our God. The 1980 American win over the Soviets goes down in history as one of the most unbelievable moments in sports history. It's well named as the miracle on ice. And if you can remember back to that day, did you believe it? Jesus' victory over death was an unprecedented triumph. He stormed the devil's stronghold through his death on the cross. He sealed death's fate when he rolled away the stone. And our sin? It can't stand in the way of our Savior. This is the truth that cheers our souls when we need permanent good news. Jesus has paid the price for our peace, and he has risen again from the dead. Do you believe in miracles? Thomas did. And by God's grace, so do we. Amen.